Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host, and I hope that you are all doing well in this first full week of the new year. It is sort of a week where you feel like you're somewhat between sleepwalking and getting back to work, but you're not quite there. But being that this episode is airing on Sunday, I hope that you are all well rested and had a wonderful holiday behind you and that you and all of your family members have come through it being in a healthy condition as best as possible. I know those uh, holiday sweets can really get to you, but uh, hopefully everybody came out the other side of the big holiday season and um, are doing quite well. So today's story, I wanted to get into a very interesting subject. I came across a post on social media on Facebook by a group called McGee Equine and Livestock Farrier Service Rescue and Rehabilitation. They have a page and they shared a very interesting story from the Victorian era about horse manure problems and street conditions and runaway horses. And I thought, wow, this would be a very interesting episode to discuss on the podcast because I happen to love the Victorian period if you haven't already uh, tuned into that fact by listening to this podcast. And I have a book coming out this year about uh, true crime from the Victorian period. So we're going to get into this story here, go into the details. And then I also added a lot of local stories that I found that connect with the topic of this discussion today. So this should be really interesting to look back at these conditions. So come along and join me. Now, the primary mode of transportation in the 1800s usually had something to do with horses, either horses pulling a wagon or a buggy or a coach. And the streets were anything from dirt streets to semi-paved or cobblestone, depending on where you lived and what city they, people were living in. Sometimes they were plank roads, as I've gone into the history of that, and sometimes they were corduroy roads and you might find some other types of uh, masonry type roads but essentially you had horses as the mode of transportation and with horses comes things like manure and the other byproducts of horses and when you get into a concentrated city like New York this can be quite intense and I don't think people really realize today how intense it was in New York and that's why I found this story kind of interesting. I'm just going to read you what it says and then we'll discuss it and then I'll start doing some other comparison stories about Southwest Michigan particularly when it comes to the runaway horses and their the hazards of traveling in buggies and horses during that time. So the horse manure problem of 1894 the 15 to 30 pounds of manure produced daily by each beast multiplied by the 150,000 plus horses in New York City resulted in more than 3 million pounds of horse manure per day that somehow needed to be disposed of. That's not to mention the daily 40,000 gallons of horse urine. In other words, cities reeked. The stench was omnipresent. Here are some fun bits from an article 
that went into this description, which was written by a man named Morris. Urban streets were minefields that needed to be navigated with greatest of care. Crossing sweepers stood on street corners. For a fee, they would clear a path through the mire for the pedestrians. Wet weather turned the streets into swamps and rivers of muck, but dry weather brought little improvement. The manure turned to dust, which was then whipped up by the wind, choking pedestrians and coating buildings. Even when it had been removed from the streets, the manure piled up faster than it could be disposed of. Early in the century, farmers were happy to pay good money for the manure. By the end of the 1800s, stable owners had to pay to have it carted off. As a result of this glut, vacant lots in cities across America became piled high with manure. In New York, these sometimes rose to 40 and even 60 feet. Can you imagine 40 to 60 feet piles high of manure in a neighborhood vacant lot? That's tremendous. That's got to be one heck of a smell, and it's also got to be an infestation, I would think, of rodents and everything else. It goes on. We need to remind ourselves that horse manure is an ideal breeding ground for flies, which spread disease. Morris reports that deadly outbreaks of typhoid and infant diarrheal diseases can be traced to spikes in the fly population. Comparing fatalities associated with horse-related accidents in 1916 Chicago versus automobile accidents in 1997, he concludes that people were killed nearly seven times more often back in the good old days. The reason for this are straightforward. Horse-drawn vehicles were an engine with a mind of its own. The skittishness of horses added a dangerous level of unpredictability to 19th century transportation. This was partially true in a bustling urban environment, full of surprises that could shock and spook the animals. Horses often stampeded, but a more common danger came from the horses kicking, biting, or trampling bystanders. Children were particularly at risk. Falls, injuries, and maltreatment also took a toll on the horses themselves. Data cited by Morris indicates in 1880, more than three dozen dead horses were cleared from New York streets each day, nearly 15,000 a year. So that was the extent of this little posting on social media. But I thought that was a really interesting insight into a congested city and the problems associated with 150,000 plus horses being used as transportation through New York City during that time. And it occurred to me that the similar type of problems, even though on a smaller scale, had to be addressed in cities across America during that time because that was the mode of transportation. And I thought, I wonder if there's any stories that are in Southwest Michigan that can shed some light on what was going on with the street conditions and who cleaned the streets, as well as looking into some of these carriage accidents and horse-drawn vehicle-driven accidents that uh, occurred. Now, I did a little bit of searching for something about street cleaning, and I didn't find a lot of references on that, on who did it, but I did find something very interesting. In 1875, in June, there was a report in the Battle Creek Daily Journal, and it was called the Marshall's Report. And the marshal made the following report. I have expended on streets the past week as follows. On East Main Street, $58.75. On Maple Street, $1.50. On Warren Street, $75.05. Cleaning streets and fixing crosswalks, $5.00. 
and this was by Alan Morse, the city marshal. So the city marshal had an expense account to some degree that was paid for by the city to clean streets or perhaps oversee the cleaning of streets and fixing of crosswalks uh, during this time period. And the crosswalks were kept clear for what was described kind of in the other article, keeping uh, horse manure out of the crosswalks and that sort of thing. Um, So it's kind of interesting uh, to see who was in charge of it. I would would have never thought the marshal would have been in charge of that, but it makes sense going back. There was not that many civil servants during that time period. So now I want to go into some stories about runaway horses and buggies because I found a lot of them and just doing a little bit of searching online with newspapers throughout Southwest Michigan. I'm going to start with some in Battle Creek and it's going to bounce around because I'm just going to go through all the clippings that I found but and they're all different time periods during the 1800s but I believe it gives you kind of a good insight into the dangers and hazards of this type of transportation during that time. So the first story and my list here came from the Battle Creek Journal published on February 10th, 1873. The headline, Another Exciting Runaway. This morning, a horse belonging to Mr. William Adams became frightened while standing in front of Nichols and Shepherd Company's threshing machine works, started down Marshall Street on a run. Nichols and Shepherds used to be out on what, what today is on Main Street out towards uh, the Post Factory out that way. So from Marshall Street, The horse turned down East Main Street, keeping in the road until near Keeler's when the horse and cutter struck the sidewalk in front of Van Praz, knocking the glass out of the show window and frightening the teams of George Grebel and Mr. Crane hitched in front of Cole and Strong's. Both teams broke loose, but Crane's was stopped while Grebel started down the street in company with Adam's horse. Ira Abbey's horse, standing in front of Decker and Ashby's, also became frightened and started after the other horses. Grubble's double team and the two single rigs came down the street all abreast and made things exceedingly lively for a few moments. During the uproar and excitement, several other teams and horses broke loose and a general stampede was threatened and they were all captured. Adam's horse fell at the corner of Main and Jefferson Streets and was stopped. Abby's run away down West Main Street before it was stopped, while Grebel's team turned up McCamley Street and was finally captured over in the Fourth Ward. Very fortunately, no one was hurt. And that was the story. So Main Street on this is, is Michigan Avenue today downtown and so this all happened in downtown Battle Creek and the horse ran all the way out from the post factory down into downtown so this was uh, quite a lot of run and it it looks like the last horse was captured down on McCamley Street so that's quite a distance for horses to be stampeding down the street and there was a double carriage horse team running and two single ones and one broke loose and then the other two Uh, Horses that were tied up somewhere along the line got spooked from the excitement and ran off as well. So interesting event that morning in uh, Battle Creek in 1873. Let's go on to the next story. This story was carried in the Benton Harbor Weekly Palladium on August 23rd, 1889. The title of the article says, Runaway Accident. Mr. John Dempster of Benton Harbor and Miss Teresa Zikind, niece of Mr. H.M. Zikind, 
figured in an exciting episode on State Street Sunday afternoon and had a narrow escape from seriously being injured. Mr. Dempster drove to Mr. Zakine's resident with a buggy intending to take Miss Zakine out riding. After assisting the lady into the rig, he was about to step in also when the horse began to plunge excitingly and become unmanageable and started on a run across the street dragging Mr. Dempster, who kept a firm hold on the lines. Miss Zakind made no attempt to get out of the buggy, but bravely held on to the seat until the vehicle struck a hitching post. In front of Mrs. Ransom's residence and tipped over. Miss Zakind was pinned underneath the buggy, and it was at first supposed that she was killed or seriously hurt, but luckily she escaped with a slight scalp wound. When the buggy struck the post, the crossbars on the thrills broke away, freeing the horse, which ran down State Street and across to the knitting factory where it was caught by Mr. M.G. Parmenter. The rig belonged to Mr. T.H. Watson, a Benton Harbor liveryman. The buggy was considerably damaged, spokes being broken out of the wheel, and the thills and seat more or less shattered. So that was the story about the runaway buggy in Benton Harbor. Now, interestingly enough, in the very same paper on August 23, 1889, the same edition, there's another incident where Mrs. M.C. Barnes met with a disastrous accident while out riding with her husband Sunday on the Lake Bluff. In attempting to turn around at a point on the bluff opposite the residence of J.H. Graham, the buggy cramped in such a manner as to break the wheel, and Mrs. Barnes was thrown violently to the ground, sustaining a broken wrist and some slight bruises. She was conveyed to her home, and Dr. Scott gave her medical assistance. And that was the other story in that same paper. Another story from the Benton Harbor Weekly Palladium. A year later, in August of 1890, on the 29th of August, Miss May Sowers, a young lady of 18 years who lives with her parents at the foot of Broadway, met with a distressing and painful accident while out riding with four lady friends on the Lakeshore Road north of town Monday afternoon. The ladies hired a team of two-seated carriage at Conkney's livery and were having a much delightful drive when suddenly the king bolt of the buggy broke or came out, the accident throwing all the ladies out on the ground. Miss Sowers was the most unfortunate one of the party, and she received injuries which will doubtless confine her to home for several days. In falling, Mrs. Sowers struck her forehead on the sharp edge of the buggy seat and received a frightful cut which extended from above the left eye to the base of the nose and vertically down the forehead. A spot on the skull as large as the palm of the hand was laid bare, and Miss Sowers presented a most pitiful sight. She also received a number of severe bruises on her limbs and body. The other girls escaped with slight bruises. Mr. Rufus Brunson, who happened along in a wagon soon after the accident occurred, brought the young lady to town, and Dr. Bester dressed Miss Sowers' wounds and made her as comfortable as possible under the circumstances. The team, driven by the young ladies, ran a short distance after the buggy broke and stopped. The horses were secured, and Mr. Conkey went after them as soon as he heard of the accident. And that was the end of that story. A little bit shocking there, having quite a uh, head wound on that young lady. 
this next story came from the Grand Rapids Telegram Herald on October 28th. 1890. The headline reads, Fatal Runaway. One person killed and several hurt by a Brooklyn sugar refiner's team. Now, this incident happened over in New York City. A fatal runaway occurred in Brooklyn Sunday. The well-known sugar refiner, J. Adolph Moldenhauer, accompanied by his wife, was driving a spirited team of horses attached to a buckboard. The horses became frightened at the noise made by an elevated railroad train and ran wildly down the sidewalk. Mr. Moldenhauer was thrown out and his leg fractured. Mrs. Maria L. Robinson, aged 60, who was on the sidewalk, was struck by the pole of the wagon. Her neck was fractured and she died instantly. Her daughter, Ida Robinson, 25 years old, received a compound fracture of the skull. A little further on, Mrs. Helen Waito was knocked down and had several ribs broken. That's a pretty awful story. Which brings attention to the fact that railroads, as they became more and more during this time period, had an impact on horses and the dependent transportation system around horses. 1870 is often referred to as the golden age of the railroad in Michigan, and by the 1880s, there was about 9,000 plus tracks, which is about three times as much as there is today. So you can imagine this really had an impact on the horse transportation system. And you also have to remember the automobile is not even on the horizon in the early to mid-1800s. So with the dominant horse-driven transportation system as well as the impact of railroads you have noises that get associated with the railroad between the cars themselves and the engines themselves which can scare animals and the reason i mention that is several of the stories that i'm going to continue reading here have that as a common theme is that the animals were spooked by a loud sound of some kind and often it was related to the railroad or sometimes the interurban This next story occurred in the Hillsdale Standard on August 17th, 1875. Uh, It says, accidents. One person killed and two severely injured. Thrown from a buggy and killed. Saturday evening about 7 o'clock, as the crowd was returning from the fairgrounds after the races, Mr. Michael Jennings, accompanied by Mrs. Robert Conley, in an open buggy, collided with a wagon driven by... Madden on Broad Street. Uh, They had a blank before the name Madden. They didn't know the first name, I guess, when they went to publication. And throwing Mr. Jennings and Miss Connolly to the ground, Mrs. C. was taken insensible to the residence of Dr. Everett nearby, but soon recovered from the shock. As no bones were broken, her injuries were not thought serious until about 9 o'clock when she became delirious, her injuries being about the head and internally. She was attended by Dr. Sessi, Wellen, and Everett, and after painful suffering during the night, died Sunday morning at about 5 o'clock. Mrs. C. resided in this place many years and has been respected in her circle of acquaintances. She leaves a husband and one son and two daughters who mourn the sudden loss of a worthy and affectionate wife and mother. Her funeral will take place at the Catholic Church this afternoon. The next part of this article says leg broken. On Saturday last, Mr. Charles Bach was riding on Hillsdale Street between the railroad track and the mill race, and his horse made a sudden turn with the buggy, which, being a skeleton without a box, 
His right leg slipped between the spokes of the front wheel, breaking his leg in two places below the knee. Dr. Wellen was immediately called, found the wounds badly slivered as well as broken. Mr. B is a worthy citizen, an industrious mechanic, and an enterprising manufacturer of carriages and wagons in the city, and his misfortune will be a severe loss to his business. The last part of this article was entitled Thrown from a Buggy on Friday Afternoon. Last, while Mr. and Mrs. St. John of this city were riding on Railroad Street and turning west on West Street, the horses became frightened and, and unmanageable, throwing Mr. and Mrs. St. John from the buggy opposite the residence of William Russell and making a complete wreck of the buggy. Mrs. St. John received several bruises, but was not seriously injured. The horse was caught about two miles from where he wrecked the buggy with only a small portion of the harness. So that was an incident or a series of incidents from the Hillsdale area. The next story is over in the Hillsdale Standard on the 26th of May, 1885. And this is an article they ran from Cleveland, Ohio, May 16th. At Chagrin Falls yesterday, a team of horses ran away from Spencer Chamberlain, his wife, and his little son. Chamberlain was killed and the child fatally injured. And Mrs. Chamberlain so badly hurt that she is not expected to live overnight. And that was the extent of that article. Another Hillsdale Standard article of November 1872. Mrs. Philander Williams, who was seriously injured by being thrown from a buggy by a runaway horse at Grand Blanc last week, died from the effects of her injuries on the 4th. Another article in October of 1882 in the Hillsdale Standard. An accident occurred to Will Bates, son of Dr. Bates, Friday night at the residence of Jacob Lozier, where a party of young people had assembled for the evening. And starting for home, Mr. Bates was knocked down in the road and run over by a spirited team and seriously injured. The extent of his injuries are not yet known. In the Marshall Daily Chronicle, July 10th, 1888, here's this interesting article. A curious accident occurred at the corner of State and Exchange Streets yesterday afternoon. Two ladies were driving a horse owned by Ed Miller of Ceresco, and when near the crossing, the animals became frightened at the stone, which was piled there for the purpose of putting in a new crossing, and shied to the left where the buggy struck a wagon in which Mr. E. Tucker was seated. The lumber wagon had the distinguished honor of being pretty thoroughly broken up by a buggy. Mr. Tucker was thrown out, but the ladies remained in their buggy, and the accident resulted in no bodily harm to anyone. The Marshall Statesman published a report about the 4th of July weekend on July 15th, 1880. And this has some other accidents and issues and things going on, but it kind of gives you some insight into how people celebrated the 4th of July during this period. And it does have some accidents with the runaway accident. So I'll just read you this short snippet. The Evening News has the following summary of 4th of July accidents. 4th of July foolishness in Michigan resulted in 12 drowning accidents, two crushed feet, four persons whiskey killed, four shot fatally, two stabbed, 29 boys and two girls wounded with shot, 62 boys and one girl disfigured by powder explosions, two wounded by bursting guns, and seven hurt by runaway accidents. Several counties are yet to hear from. 
And that was the summary of the 4th of July weekend foolishness. And yeah, that does sound like a lot of people doing foolish things that weekend. And one can imagine all of the fireworks celebrations or whatever they were firing off. Maybe they're playing around with gunpowder, as some of these old articles suggest. And those noises were spooking the horses, causing those seven runaway accidents that were reported. Another article in the Marshall Statesman, March 9th, 1888. While B.S. Eldred and wife were driving home from Marshall Sunday, and when within a few rods of home, the king bolt of the buggy broke, causing a sudden separation of the horse and front wheels from the buggy body and rear wheels, Mr. and Mrs. E. were thrown to the ground with some force, but with the exception of some slight bruises and a broken buggy, the accident terminated fortunately. This next article comes from the South Haven Messenger. George T. Clapp of Glen had a narrow escape from a fatal accident last Saturday while crossing the Black River Bridge east of R.C. Eaton's with a three-year-old colt which had never been driven before attached to a sulky which was a type of buggy or wagon, was run off the bridge, the horse and all falling about 10 feet into the water. The fall, Mr. Clapp was caught in such a way as to inflict severe bruises on his right arm, left leg, and side. In the very same paper of the South Haven Messenger on August 6, 1886, Seth Alvord and a young man whose name we did not learn from Bangor drove around the Lousbury Corner up Broadway on Thursday with a double team and hitched the pole into the hind wheel of Prin Lousbury's buggy, turning it over and causing the horse to break loose and run, demoralizing the buggy very bad. The young men went on as though nothing had happened. Another edition of the South Haven Messenger on May 11, 1883, Grand Rapids, Michigan, fatal runaway, May 9th. A young farmer named Parks was instantly killed by a runaway accident in Spencer Township yesterday. He had taken his fiancée to her home in Solon Township, and when returning, his horse became frightened, and the buggy struck a stump, throwing him out and fracturing his skull. Death was instantaneous. You would have thought somebody would have come up with a buggy helmet by this time, but no, apparently not. Another South Haven story, this time in the South Haven Sentinel, July 12, 1890. A fatal runaway, Henry Henderson, borrowed his employer's team at Port Huron recently to take his family to a picnic. The team took fright and ran away, throwing the occupants of the vehicle out, injuring Mrs. Henderson seriously. Mrs. Henderson was so badly hurt that she would die. A daughter and son were instantly killed, and another son had a left hand torn off. Wow. That is uh, quite a tragic accident. Now, this story ran in the St. Joseph Saturday Herald on July 28th, 1900. And it's a story that happened over in Tecancha. The headline reads, Fast driving young lady killed in a race between teams in the streets of Tecancha. Tecancha, July 20th, Miss May Bacon of Chicago was fatally injured Wednesday night while driving in the street with Lee Estes. They were racing with another couple when Estes's horse dashed headlong into a hack. A hack was a type of uh, taxi-type uh, carriage that was common in the day. You see it quite referenced often in Charles Dickens' work. Anyways, the tongue of which the 
hack was thrown upward and pierced the throat of Miss Bacon, pinning her securely to the seat of the buggy. She died at noon. Miss Bacon was the daughter of Oscar Bacon, a former resident of Takansha, and was visiting friends here for her parents. She was 20 years old. Estes and the driver of the other buggy were fined $8.50 each for fast driving. Wow. Today they'd be uh, charged with vehicular manslaughter. This next article came from the St. Joseph Herald Press, and it was published on October 3rd, 1868. This is one of the older ones in this list of articles. A singular accident occurred on the Boston and Albany Railroad, about 30 miles east of Albany. The westbound train at a crossing ran into a buggy containing Mr. and Mrs. Beebe, aged people. The horse had crossed the track, and behind part of the buggy was struck by the engine. The buggy box was thrown up and caught on the platform in front of the engine, the old people remaining in it and being thus carried two-thirds of a mile before the train was stopped. The old lady was nearly dead. The old gentleman was not so badly hurt. Here's an interesting article that ran in the Marshall Statesman concerning this on June 9, 1881, and it's referencing a quote that ran in the Battle Creek Tribune. And so it says, the BC Tribune said, our citizens cannot be too careful in regard to throwing papers in the streets, and proprietors of bulletin boards should guard against all possible danger in that regard. And what were they referring to by paper in the streets? The Marshall Statesman further elaborated on this. This advice by our neighbor was occasioned by a disastrous runaway that happened at the creek a few days since. A piece of paper whirled by the wind through the streets is the seed of runaways, dislocated shoulders, broken limbs, and damaged vehicles. So what they were talking about here was people letting paper or throwing paper in the street and letting it flutter around in the wind. Those papers floating around could spook horses, which could cause runaways and thus cause accidents to people and damage vehicles as well as possibly kill somebody. This next story came from the East Saginaw Courier on June 16, 1863. It reads, Serious accident. The business of the day closed most unfortunately with a tragedy wherein a fine mare was made to suffer by the inexcusable carelessness of some thoughtless biped. A Mr. McDonald, while driving a gray mare from Gates Stable with top buggy attached at a brisk pace about 9 o'clock Wednesday evening, it being quite dark, drove into the ditch lately excavated on Genesee Street, front of where Colonel Little is putting up a new brick hotel. The ditch is straight down about three feet wide and eight feet deep. Both shafts of the buggy were broken, the stub of one sticking into the mare's shoulder three inches. The man in the buggy had three teeth knocked out and a piece of his tongue bitten off, though he was so much startled as he did not know it at the time the accident happened. The cries of the poor beast as she lay in the ditch, all cramped down out of shape with the sliver piece of shaft in her shoulder, was most piteous. She was soon relieved, however, led out, and although very stiff and sore, had no bones broken. Somebody, of course, must foot the bill for damages, and we hope it will be enough to make the lesson impressive. 
So this ditch was being dug across the road, and nobody put up any barriers at night to warn people. And this guy drove his buggy and horse right into it. And the horse, one of the axles broke and shoved itself into the mare's shoulder. So the horse had this big spear stuck in its shoulder, and it couldn't get out until somebody helped it out of the ditch. Uh, What a tragic incident. Now, this next story comes from the Weekly Expeditor. And it was uh, published on November 28, 1890. And its title of this headline is A Double Death at Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, November 25th. The westbound Michigan Central Day Express caused a terrible accident last Saturday, three miles east of this city. Daniel Crane, aged 14, and son of E.A. Crane, and Herbert Green, aged 16, son of George F. Green, were driving west along the road, which runs parallel to the track, and started to cross at the Anderson Crossing. The locomotive struck the forward wheel of the buggy, throwing the horse 30 rods where it lay dead. The buggy harness were scattered along the track for 100 rods. When the train stopped, both boys were found to be dead and lay in the buggy and with the buggy on top on the cowcatcher. They were placed on the train, which returned to Comstock to allow the North Shore limit to pass. The bodies were then brought here. Each had cuts and contusions of the skull, and no other bones were broken. A witness to the affair says he doesn't think they saw or heard the train. He did not hear the whistle blow, and the trainmen did not attempt to stop the train, say the witnesses, until he motioned to them. An inquest will be held. So that's a gruesome tragedy over in Kalamazoo. And I'll wrap up with one more story from Union City. This was published in the Weekly Statesman, which I think was a Marshall newspaper, on September 9th, 1887. And it reads, While Bert Van Orman was returning from Union City after the celebration Saturday evening, he was thrown from a buggy at Osborne's Crossing onto the railroad track and broke his arm below the elbow. The men with whom he was riding drove and left him to walk home. Dr. Ramsdale reduced the fracture. Other theories are advanced as to the manner of the accident, but this is the boys' version of the affair. And that was the story there. So some interesting doings over there in Union City. So that was my collection of stories of street cleanings and runaway horses and the transportation system of the day with buggies and wagons and the uh, sometimes fatal accidents occurring with railroads and railroad crossing and the effect of noise on horses and apparently buggy accidents and carriage accidents and even wagon accidents were very common and it was a dangerous affair to have uh, these happening uh, quite frequently in the area and it was just a common occurrence and there were a lot of stories that I passed up on but I wanted to give you a sampling from around the state around southwest Michigan area as much as I could to tell you some little bit of uh, some of the incidents that happened with the life of riding in a buggy can you imagine getting up every morning and harnessing up the horses and then uh, having to put the horses away in the evening when you got home from work and feeding them and and the whole uh, you tie your horses up in town when you say you're shopping and you come out and find your horses ran away because somebody had a weird noise or a piece of paper fluttered by or another stampede ran by and all of these things were part of the life and times of people during that period and if you drive around 
most communities you'll see these homes that are these older ones that were built in the 1800s and they have perhaps a very narrow garage and that was a place that they stored the buggy and it wasn't designed for the modern day vehicles. Uh, You'll also see uh, carriage houses and things like that behind old homes. Um, We find them here in Battle Creek a lot and all over southwest Michigan and it's just part of the construction of the period because they were designed around the transportation of the time and that was horses and buggies and some older homes had uh, barns and things like that that are no longer existing in town and then you went to a livery stable when you wanted to rent a wagon or a buggy for the day for getting around town. Uh, Just a lot of interesting dynamics to living during that time period and they had their dangers just like the modern day automobile does. But apparently the level of accidents was a lot higher than the modern day automobiles that have uh, more of a measure of safety than the carriages did. Uh, Even though they go a lot faster with the automobiles today, it uh, still is uh, interesting to look back at that period of time. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was a, a fun tour looking at some of the Victorian transportation and the streets and the roads. And if you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And when you go on over to my website at michaeldelaware.com, be sure to check out the calendar. I have a list of of my upcoming book signing event that will be happening from March, April, May right now. I'll probably have several events scheduled in June as the year moves on. But right now I'm working on the calendar dates for May at this point because I've got quite a number of them scheduled already for March and April. And it's going to be a lot of fun with this book coming out. The book title once again is Victorian Southwest Michigan true crime and there are 17 stories in the book about true crime events that happened around southwest michigan there's a number of them are in battle creek and i must confess that because that is where i started my research but i did a lot of research on other stories around the area and you will find stories in there from uh, branch county st joseph county berrien and cass county there's one story that overlaps in berrien and cass county there's one up in barry county There's one in Eaton County, and there's one in Jackson. Uh, Several of them that tie into Jackson County because a lot of these people that committed these crimes went to the prison in Jackson. So should be a lot of fun to uh, have you guys read these stories and give me your feedback, and hopefully you'll enjoy them. And I am working on a second book to follow up behind that one that will probably be exclusively on Calhoun County, Um, but I will see how that develops. I have to check with my publisher so look for future announcements on that in the probably later part of this year that being said thank you for coming along with me in today's episode and until next time when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of southwest michigan's past thank you for listening Uh